the Walmart effect may be coming to a town near you. The Walmart effect is a term that was first coined by a journalist named Julie Morris in an article she wrote in USA Today back in the 1990s. Uh, But the term became more popular in a book that was written in 2006 by a business journalist named Charles Fishman as his book, The Walmart Effect, became a national bestseller. In case you never heard of that term before from the state of Arkansas, you probably should by now, but it refers to that economic impact that is felt by local businesses when a large company like Walmart opens up its doors. Uh, The Walmart effect uh, usually manifests itself by forcing smaller retail businesses out of commission and reducing wages for competitors' employees. And as you can imagine, many local businesses oppose the arrival of Walmart for those very reasons. To make it more personal, my dad's dad, Jack Boylston, who I never got to meet, he died about a year before I was born, Uh, my dad's dad owned the Boylston Family Furniture Store. Uh, That's my heritage. We used to have furniture and the Boylston Family Heritage there. Uh, My grandfather, Jack, uh, had that furniture store leading up from about the 70s into the 90s, and when he passed away, my dad took it over for about a decade. However, the Boylston Family Furniture Store no longer exists because Walmart came to town in that small town of Allendale, South Carolina. They took out those small businesses just like my dad's dad. So is the arrival of Walmart a good or a bad thing? I mean, when you boil it all down, who can compete with such a superpower? In fact, Walmart is the largest employer as of 2019 in the United States. Well, for the most of us, we live in the state of Arkansas, where Walmart's headquarters are firmly rooted in their towering presence up in the Northwest Corridor. And I'm sure in a room this size, there are a variety of opinions about what you think of Walmart. But then again, it just depends on who you're talking to, right? If you're talking to the owner of a small business or you work for a local business, you're going to have some strong opinions about it. But the arrival of Walmart means there are customers like this man who loves the cheap cost where you can buy what you want. And in fact, some of you are so bored on Friday nights, Walmart has become a weekend activity just to walk around. If you do your research, studies have shown that once a Walmart location opens, the lower prices, the concentration, and the selection of the merchandise tends to draw customers away from local retailers. With less foot traffic and declining sales, local retailers Profits fall, uh, forcing them to make cost-cutting decisions. Such strategies, however, may not be enough to keep such businesses open as Walmart continues to operate profitably and their competitors' profits fall. One article summarized the Walmart effect in this way, quote, In time, Walmart might choose to relocate its store to another location, but the impact of its initial arrival may continue to last well afterward. Well, this morning, I want to ask a series of questions 
about Walmart's business strategy and really the Walmart effect and how that relates to our church. Is the Walmart effect the driving force and the motivation for why Chaffee Crossing Baptist Church exists? I like the impact of Walmart on a community. Is the mission of CCBC to leave an impact on a community that puts other churches out of business? In other words, does CCBC exist to create a monopoly on churches, both in Fort Smith and in the River Valley? We want our name brand on it. And does CCBC exist to portray itself as the only church people should go to. To put it even more bluntly, is Chaffee Crossing Baptist Church strategizing ways to take members from other churches, you know, steal sheep, spiritual customers, to make our restaurant, our pasture bigger so that our church appears more successful? Well, if that's true, I'm going to take off my mic and resign today because I can't stand behind a ministry that has that type of mentality and I don't think you would want to belong to a church I don't think you would ever even want to say you're a member of a church that drinks that kind of Kool-Aid either but why why should we want to put away that type of mentality about Chaffee Crossing Baptist Church Well, beloved, a gospel-believing and Bible-obeying church is not like starting a new business. These are not exactly apples for apples that we're talking about here. Now, churches will certainly have business-like practices. You know, we've got to maintain the books with integrity and order. There might even be similarities where we need to market our church. In other words, have a website or some church info cards to let people know that we exist and maybe a little bit about who we are. But churches, according to the Bible, have a very different goal in mind than a business or a financial superpower like Walmart. You know, in one sense, Chaffee Crossing Baptist Church is a precious and priceless gift from God. I mean, look at this room. We've been now, quote-unquote, walking together as a church, and it's three-fourths full in five months. That's something to thank God for. That's something not to take for granted. That's something to celebrate. That's something to enjoy. That's something we should not take for granted. And for that reason, I'm thankful for the 90 members of Chaffee Crossing Baptist Church. I'm thankful I have someone to preach to, and not just an open room. I'm thankful that you've seen that this is a body of believers where you can grow up spiritually and help others do the same. And I'm thankful personally as a pastor that God in his mercy, in his kindness, would even give me the opportunity to shepherd a flock like you because he doesn't need me. This life is very brief, but I pray that for my heart and your hearts, as long as we are together, for as long as God would have us here, I pray that the beginning of this church would be a moment of a lifetime for this church family. However, with all those bubbly cootsie and 
warm, fuzzy things I'm telling you about yourself, at the end of the day, Chaffee Crossing Baptist Church is really nothing special in the grand scheme of time and eternity. You see, if the Lord wills, we'll be a body of believers that are just trying to be faithful, to do what Jesus told us to do in order to participate in the Great Commission. But regardless, if our membership is super small or massive, by the world standards at least, we know that no one local church is irreplaceable. You know, in our church logo, thank you, Brownie. Brownie put that logo together. If you ever are proud of it, go talk to Brownie. I had little to do with it. He did a great job. But you'll notice in the fine print, it says established 2020, September 2020 to be more specific. But beloved, unless Jesus comes back first, one day CCBC will have an expiration date as well. There is going to come a day that CCBC will no longer exist. You see, at best, we will be an instrument in the Redeemer's hands during a particular time, in a particular place, for a particular purpose. But when that purpose has been fulfilled, God will close that chapter. And he will then begin a new one for his kingdom purposes. For as the scripture says, for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. Ecclesiastes 3 verse 1. So what purpose does God have for Chaffee Crossing Baptist Church? Why does CCBC ultimately exist? Well, like every other local church that just wants to be faithful to God, we're going to find our purpose in the eternal purpose of God, realized in Christ Jesus through the church. The people of God throughout all generations who are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in the promised Messiah, Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's learn more about that now together around God's word. If you have your Bibles, open to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. If you're using the chair Bibles provided, that is found on page 480. Matthew chapter 16. As you're turning there, this morning begins the first of three sermons. We're having a little mini-series before we have the longer series in Mark. I was thinking over the last several weeks, somewhat like an airline pilot, as we are taking off the runway, the bags are packed, people are still being seated, but, you know, there's those moments where the the, uh, flight attendant's trying to tell you all the things you need to do in case we, we crash. Well, no one's crashing. But we're getting up to that 30,000-foot place. And sometimes you hit a little turbulence. Sometimes you got people that are still playing on their phones and laptops. And so I thought, before we can get to that 30,000-foot altitude, I need to continue to teach and reteach, teach and reteach who we are and why we exist. And so that's what I'm going to do this week, next week, and then the following week. Jansen Lester will preach for us at the end of March. We'll have Easter Sunday. And then, Lord willing, we will begin a long journey in the Gospel of Mark. So that's where we are. That's where we're heading. Matthew chapter 16. 
In verse 18, Jesus utters those lightning bolt words about the church that all Christians everywhere today would find their identity and hope in. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. But notice what Jesus said. He did not say, I will build Chaffee Crossing Baptist Church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He said he would build my church. That is, the church, the elect and redeemed people of God, ransomed from every tribe, tongue, and nation throughout all generations. It's the people spoken about at the end of the canon of Scripture in the book of Revelation, chapter 5, who sing a new song to the Lamb of God who has slain Jesus Christ. We read starting in Revelation 5, verse 9, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. That basically means a number that no man can comprehend. Saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. The church, which is Jesus' church, is God's eternal plan of redemption that will be accomplished. It's not might be accomplished. It's not Jesus' bucket list that he hopes to accomplish. No, the building up of Christ's church is a heavenly construction project that one day will see a glorious completion. Beloved, Christ will receive the reward for his suffering. Christ will receive the reward for his suffering. That's also because the church is Jesus' bride that he's wedded to, that he's in covenant with, a bride that his heavenly Father has sovereignly and uniquely given to him. A multitude of wretched sinners that no man can count, that God's Spirit is awakening from being dead in sin to new life in Christ. 
a multitude of lost sheep that no man can count, that hear their good shepherd's voice, and they follow him. The church is a multitude of people that no man can count, that have been chosen in Christ before the foundation of the earth, who have been purchased by his own blood. The church is an elect people whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life before they were ever born in the world. The church are the disciples of Jesus Christ that Christ promises to call, to keep, and one day will raise up on the day of the resurrection. The church, beloved, are the adopted sons and daughters of the Most High God. Those who have Christ as their great high priest, who loves them and prays for them. A forgiven and justified people that Christ, like the best husband towards an unworthy wife, nourishes and cherishes. And one day, Christ says he's going to make them beautiful in his sight. But friends, though every local church will be a visible expression of Christ's invisible or universal church, not every local church will remain open indefinitely. One day, in God's sovereign timing, the lights of a local church will turn off. In God's holy purposes, Christ may very well remove that lampstand because a church becomes unfaithful and unrepentant. Where a church either no longer proclaims the gospel or their witness becomes so stained with hypocrisy that Christ's name is smeared through the mud. And you see, because Jesus holds the keys of death and Hades. Jesus holds the keys to the doors of the church. He is the head of the church. Jesus determines the lifespan of that church. And if Jesus sees that church as giving him a bad witness, he will remove his spirit's power from it if they abandon the love that they had at first. Think, for example, of Revelation chapter 2 and the warning that Christ gave the church in Ephesus. Or consider the awesome opportunity and possibility of how God sometimes just chooses to bless some ministries with gospel fruit more than others. And sometimes churches may have a bigger view of the kingdom and not be territorial and actually merge together. Maybe one church is prospering and growing and healthy and another one is struggling and weak and small. If churches have a kingdom of God mindset, but not a kingdom of man mindset, maybe churches can even join together. And sometimes, beloved, when that happens, that's a win for the kingdom of God. But either way, whether the Lord turns out the lights on a church or he weds two congregations together, Whatever church we belong to in our lives, whether it's CCBC or another one, we should all remain humble under the Lord's mighty hand. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to humble believers, and he gives grace to humble 
churches. Friends, every local church, every local church on this planet will have a birth date and an expiration date. I don't know if that makes you sad, if that makes you kind of on the edge. Well, if it does, I want to remind you of something. It's the certainty of Matthew 16, what Jesus says there, and the guaranteed end result of heavenly worship in Revelation 5 that gives a church like Chaffee Crossing Baptist Church a reason to exist, a reason in Mississippi, a reason in New England, a reason in Africa, churches all over the world. When we think of what Jesus said in Matthew 16, he will build his church. Revelation 5, his church will sing his praises. It gives every church an eternal reason to exist. You see, that's why every Christian, not just pastors, not just deacons, not just ladies in the women's Bible study, every Christian should care about who Jesus is and what Jesus is doing in and through his church. Beloved, if you're here today and you're a member of Chaffee Crossing Baptist Church, I hope this morning's message in the next couple of weeks would re- reinvigorate, uh, would even stir up a renewed zeal for why you belong to this church. And more than that, I pray that everyone in here that's a Christian, maybe you belong to another church, or maybe you are looking for a church to join, I pray that we would all walk away of the awesome privilege it is to be an ambassador for Jesus, to represent heaven while we live on earth. And if you're not a Christian, I hope you walk away from this message today convinced that giving your life to Jesus is the best decision you could ever make with your life. So with all that said, I'm going to give you our church's mission statement and then unpack it with a primary reason we exist with two applications. CCBC exists to be a pillar of God's truth with a passion for all people to worship the one true God by making disciples of Jesus Christ through preaching and teaching and by showing his love through meaningful church membership and gospel-centered mission. So what is the biblical reason? Not Pastor Blake's reason, not people who live in Fort Smith and tried to find a new option of a church. What is the biblical reason for why this church exists? CCBC exists to be a pillar of God's truth. Open your Bibles to the Gospel of John. John chapter 18. We're going to get towards the end of Jesus' life on earth. John chapter 18, if you're using the chair Bibles, should be found on page 528. John 18. We're going to be looking at verses 33 to 38. Kind of catch up to speed where we're at in John's gospel. When Jesus was put on trial before Pontius Pilate, there was a conversation between them that I think will show us how sin can put a dark, kind of dark blanket, kind of covers our eyes from seeing and knowing the truth about God and his kingdom. We read in John 18, starting in verse 33. So Pilate entered his headquarters again, 
and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? What is truth? That's a good question that's buzzing around in so many's minds, so many people's minds these days. Well, truth is the correspondence, it's the relationship between an object and our knowledge of that object. What is said about something must reflect what that something is if that statement is to be true. Say, for example, I think this is a bed. I feel this is a bed. I convince myself day and night that this is a bed. And I'm so convinced of it that I tell others this is an awesome bed. But the question at stake here is not what I think or what I feel or how sincere I am in calling this a bed. The real question we are asking is, is this a bed or is it something else? Is what I'm believing about this object true? Well, as Christians, our biblical worldview always begins. Parents, if you want to teach your children a biblical worldview, you have to start with this, that there is a God and that all objective truth and moral absolutes are found in this one true God. For example, the prophet Jeremiah boldly declared to the nation of Israel not to believe in false gods because of who our God is. He is the one true and living God. Jeremiah 10, verses 2 to 16. Learn not the way of the nations, nor be dismayed at the signs of the heavens, because the nations are dismayed at them. For the customs of the peoples are vanity. A tree from the forest is cut down and worked with an axe by the hands of a craftsman. They decorate it with silver and gold. They fasten it with hammer and nails so that it cannot move. Their idols are like scarecrows in a cucumber field. 
and they cannot speak. They have to be carried, for they cannot walk. Do not be afraid of them, for they cannot do evil. Neither is it in them to do good. There is none like you, O Lord. You are great, and your name is great in might. Who would not fear you, O King of the nations? For this is your due. For among all the wise ones of the nations and in all their kingdoms, there is none like you. They are both stupid and foolish. The instruction of idols is but wood. Beaten silver is brought from Tarshish and gold from Uphaz. They are the work of the craftsmen and of the hands of the goldsmith. Their clothing is violet and purple. They are all the work of skilled men. But the Lord, is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. At his wrath, the earth quakes and the nations cannot endure his indignation. Thus you shall say to them, the gods who did not make the heavens and the earth shall perish from the earth and from under the heavens. It is he who made the earth by his power, who established the world by his wisdom, and by his understanding stretched out the heavens. When he utters his voice, there is a tumult of waters in the heavens, and he makes the mist rise from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain, and he brings forth the wind from his storehouses. Every man is stupid and without knowledge. Every goldsmith is put to shame by his idols, for his images are false." And there is no breath in them. They are worthless, a work of delusion. At the time of their punishment, they shall perish. Not like these is he who is the portion of Jacob. For he is the one who formed all things. And Israel is the tribe of his inheritance. The Lord of hosts is his name. You see, our God, the Lord, is the embodiment. He is the substance. He is the source of all objective, moral, spiritual, unchangeable, and everlasting truth. That means whatever God says, and this God I'm speaking about today, the God of Scripture says, Whatever he says is true, is true. Friends, because of who our God is, knowing the truth matters. Telling the truth matters. Protecting the truth, studying the truth, talking about the truth, believing the truth, living out the truth, standing for the truth, and preaching the truth, all of it matters. But like Pilate, who cowardly tried to walk away and wash his hands in innocence from being guilty before a holy God, he tried to take the high road approach that is so common in our day. Maybe you've even said this before, before you became a Christian, saying things like, what is truth? I mean... Can you really know it? I mean, who are you to say that my beliefs 
are wrong and yours are right. Haven't you ever heard there's no such thing as an absolute moral right and wrong? What's right for me is true. And what is right for you is true. Who are you to say that you know the truth? Now, whether it's from the sexual revolution of the LGBTQT movement or putting your heart's faith in American politicians or even from the lack of sound preaching from our pulpits in scores of churches, people are walking around this world defining what truth is in their own eyes. And what are we left with? We're left with a world shattered by sin. Beloved, we live in a dangerous world. We live in a dangerous world not because God doesn't exist, but we live in a dangerous world because sinners love their sin and don't love the God who made them. We live in a dangerous world because human beings try to live off the fickle fumes of feelings and human wisdom. I mean, turn on your televisions, your social media, the evening news, and you will find out how quickly, how empty and confused and lost our world is. And sadly, when we seek to live our lives absent, like unplugging the cord from the socket, we try to live our lives absent of God's truth, we're just all like blind people walking with the blind toward a cliff, thinking we're walking towards paradise. But what does Proverbs 14, 12 tell us? There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Friends, sincere intentions do not always lead to safe destinations. Sincere intentions do not always lead to safe destinations. You know, anytime we try to govern our life, build a church by the passing winds of what's popular or what's cool or what feels good in the moment or what the culture deems as acceptable or loving, our societies at large, our churches at large will become self-centered, hedonistic, and arrogant. I mean, think of the audacity. Think of the darkness of how man exalts himself, the creation, over and against the knowledge of God, his creator. It's the epitome of idolatry. So, beloved, what happens when the church of all people stops testifying to the truth about God? What happens when the church becomes cowardly and bows to the pressures of its culture and no longer tells people their sin problem against God? What happens when churches become pseudo-social country clubs where the traditions of men are made an idol and churches become a place where Jesus is talked about, but Jesus is no longer worshipped? 
what happens when the Bible's treated like a Sunday lunch buffet, where we just kind of pick and choose which parts we like and don't like, and we begin to say and believe what we want to say, what we want to believe, rather than what God has actually said. Well, it's inevitable you're going to read quotes from liberal theologians. Those are men and women who would believe parts of the Bible, but deny its full inspiration or authority. Listen to a few of these authors. Quote, the Bible is to be studied just like any other book. We can come to it with no prepossessions, but simply with an open mind. Or, quote, Christianity can only remain honestly believable by being continuously open to the truth. Those are real people. They write books. But friends, if we are to follow Jesus, we too will begin to speak the truth, protect the truth, believe the truth. And when we are following Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, we will come to love the truth like Jesus did. In recent years, online dating has become a common pathway for folks living in this modern era to meet men and women they hope to date, maybe even find a marriage partner through. But with the online dating scene, has also brought with it online dating scams. Some have even coined the term, romance scammers. These con artists create fake profiles to lure in victims, establish romantic relationships, and eventually extort their money. According to the Better Business Bureau, victims in the U.S. and Canada have reported losing more than $1 billion over the past few years to online romance scam artists. Older users in particular are more targeted by this type of scam, and most don't even realize they're a victim until it's too late. Now, in an effort to warn those who take the plunge and the risk of online dating, there have been some helpful websites to pay attention what to watch out for and to be warned against. Three tips that were given on one website. First, cross-check and verify. Conduct an online search to cross-check the person's name, photo, location, email address, and other details for legitimacy. In other words, find out if they really are who they say they are. Second, slow down. Stop clicking the buttons. Talk to someone you trust. Tell a friend or a family member about your situation and discuss whether you should take any next steps. A romance scanner might try to isolate you from friends and family and pressure you to make impulsive decisions alone. And lastly, do not send money. I mean, you just heard the statistic, a billion dollars has gone down the drain for people who bought a lie. Never wire money, put money on a gift card or cash reload card or send cash to an online love interest. You won't get it back. Well, friends, when we're talking about believing God, believing his word, and trusting in Jesus, the last thing we want to portray at Chaffee Crossing Baptist Church is an online romance scammer. That means if you attend this church as a visitor or you are considering joining 
or you are already a member, you should never mindlessly or passively take my word as thus saith the Lord. Let me just say that again, just in case it glossed right over you. That means when you walk in this building, even though I'm standing behind this pulpit, even though I'm teaching you God's word, you should never walk in here mindlessly, passively, thinking that everything I say is thus saith the Lord. And you should never take what another pastor or theologian or maybe even a mom or dad that you dearly love, you should never take what they say is absolutely always true. Do your homework. Talk to Christians who seem to know their Bibles well. Investigate the claims and teachings of Jesus for yourself. And since we are in a Christian church this morning, I'd encourage you to examine everything that is taught and said with the Scriptures. Love it. we should be doing this this morning, and we should be doing it every time we gather on the Lord's Day. Friends, pray that CCBC would be a gospel-believing and Bible-obeying church whose members have spirit-led discernment. So, what do you need to know about Jesus? Can you know the truth by knowing him? Well, must a church believe in order to be a true church? Well, the Gospel of John tells us that Jesus is the true light who has come into the world. John 1, verse 9. Yet we also read in John 3, verses 19 to 21. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. When Thomas, one of Jesus' own disciples, was rather confused on where Jesus was talking about his journey to somewhere above and really was kind of confused on who Jesus was, one of his own disciples. He asked him in John 14, verses 5 to 9, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my father also, and from now on you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the father. Beloved, that means to honor, to trust to love and to know Jesus is ultimately to know and love and honor and worship the Father as well. Therefore, whenever Jesus speaks, it is God who is speaking. John tells us in his prologue, the introduction to John's gospel, that Jesus is the eternal word. He's the logos who became flesh and dwelt among us, the one who is full of grace and truth. John 1, verse 14. It shouldn't surprise us when Jesus comes on the scene 
Though he was truly a man, yet when he opened his mouth, God was speaking as a man, through a man, to men. And when Jesus taught, he astounded the crowds. Matthew 7, 28 to 29. Jesus' claim about his own identity, that his words were not merely man's words, but were words of God. He told the Jews in John chapter 8, who believed in him. John 8, 31 to 32. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, when some of the Jews heard this, Jesus was insinuating something to them. If you believe in me, I'll set you free. And they said, well, set set us free from what? Well, he said, well, you're enslaved in sin, and your daddy's the devil. Well, that didn't exactly give Jesus the biggest following. They were pretty angry. But notice again what Jesus said about the truth. John 8, verses 43 to 47. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Listen to verse 47. Why do people believe the truth and why do others not? Why do people follow their whole life with Jesus and others scoff at it? Here's the underbelly. Here's under the hood for what Jesus says why people don't believe. Verse 47. Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason, circle, underline that. Get Mindy Clark on you. Get that whiteboard going. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. You can't hear the words of God if you don't possess the spirit of God. You cannot worship the risen Jesus if you don't have the spirit of Jesus living in you. That's the plain, clear teaching of Scripture. You see, the truth, beloved, is not about I have more information than you do or you've been to more schooling than I. The truth, beloved, is a supernatural work of God where he takes out our heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh that loves God, that obeys God, that wants to follow God. You see, the truth is what sets us free from the bondage and captivity of sin. The truth The truth about who God is, it reveals the idols of our hearts. It reveals what we really worship. The more you stare at who God is in the scriptures, and even more clearly in the person of Jesus Christ, God reveals to us all the things that we love and worship over him. But you see, the truth is what also sets us apart. It's what sets believers apart makes us distinct like the nice china in your dining room versus paper plates in the kitchen. This is what sets God's people apart. Jesus prayed in John 17 for his disciples and all who would believe in their word. John 17 verses 14 to 19. I have given them your word 
and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Listen, here's why I've been spending so much time on a biblical theology of truth. The truth is what makes the church of Jesus Christ a bright witness in a dark world. The truth is what makes the church of Jesus Christ a bright witness in a dark world. In fact, that's why truth and integrity go hand in hand. They're really just two sides of the same coin. People who know the truth, obey the truth, and teach the truth will have a heart committed to the truth. And if your life, your heart, your will, your desires, your mind is committed to the truth, it will lead you to live a life of integrity, a life of wholeness, a life of truthfulness, a life of trustworthiness. Kids, if you're still awake, this is my lesson for you today. You should always tell the truth. Lying lasts for a moment, but its consequences are painfully bitter. Always tell the truth. When your conscience is bothering you and that kind of inner tugging is telling you to not tell the truth, I don't want to get in trouble, tell the truth. If you tell the truth, even if you have to bear up difficult consequences, telling the truth is always God's best for you. And brothers and sisters, you already know this, right? Who do you share your deepest secrets with? Who do you share the most private matters of your heart with? It's probably someone you trust, right? Someone who demonstrates a pattern of loving the truth and walking with integrity in their life. In other words, you can tell them everything in your life because you're not afraid they're going to gossip about it. They're not going to twist the story. They're not going to fudge the facts. You tell them because you feel safe around them. You feel safe around them because you know they care about you. They love you. But they're also very honest with you. People who tell you the truth even when it's hard to hear it in the moment. That's why anytime you see divisions in a church, somewhere along the way, lies and falsehood have gone unchecked, unexposed, and unrepented of. Instead of worshipers, church members become whisperers. Instead of sharing the gospel, church members are gossiping juicy rumors that are simply not true. We just had a marriage refresh conference. I've gotten some fairly decent feedback. Maybe you haven't told me the things that it's created in your marriage for challenges, maybe. But one of the things that I am very encouraged by is I'm seeing couples open up and get a little honest about where there's been a lack of spiritual leadership 
a lack of prayer, maybe even a lack of communication in some way. I think it's safe to say what I hope you gathered from that marriage refresh conference, and if you didn't get to listen to it, you can listen to the talks on our podcast, that a marriage built on trust can last a lifetime. A marriage built on trust can last a lifetime. When you lie, when you make up stuff, when you hide things, it's like ripping away the foundation of a house. It's going to crumble eventually. But a marriage built on trust can last a lifetime. Well, a church that's built on trust in God will display the truth about God, which gives life to all who believe. Friends, the truth is what makes the church relevant to the world around us. If a church, I don't care if it's CCBC or the churches that have littered all throughout the River Valley, the 60 plus, even in the Concord Association, if a church doesn't exist to be a pillar, to be a support, to be a foundation of God's truth, then that church is lying to the world about what God is like. We're really just wasting time. As a church, we could be even wasting God's resources if we're ignoring God's truth. You see, the church is to be the mouthpiece and messenger who is on mission to see God's word reverberate throughout our lives. I mean, think about it. How will anyone be saved? They're not going to be saved by watching us cut grass. They're not going to be saved by just a hello across the street. That might invite a conversation that might commend your work ethics and neighborly love, but no one is saved through osmosis. We only come to know Jesus when we hear the truth. Romans 10, verse 17, So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Paul reminded the Ephesian believers of how they were saved in Ephesians 1, verse 13, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Listen to my non-Christian friends who are here today. Again, I'm glad you're here. There's a lot of things you've read and listened to and been exposed to throughout the course of a week. But this one moment in the life of your week to hear God's word and to sit under the teaching of scripture is the best use of your time all week. All week long, we are fed false promises and false hopes and self-deception. What we all need so desperately are the words of life. I, as your pastor, asked a group of brothers to be praying for me. My soul is thirsty. I'm feeling dry and even weary, even in my own zeal for the Lord today. I said, pray that God would remind me that there is water available. Drink from it. Trust that God will revive your heart. And God will answer those prayers. Beloved, I know you live in the same world I do. You're maybe bearing up way more difficult trials than I could ever imagine. The best thing you could ever do is to take time to hear God's word. Listen, if you're not a Christian, I hope today you have come to a clearer understanding that there aren't many ways to God. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No ifs, ands, or buts. No second or third place behind Jesus. Jesus is your everything or he's nothing to you. He's either God the Son incarnate or he's a kook. But if he is who he says he is, then bow to him. Trust him 
and follow him all your days. He died on the cross bearing the penalty of our sin that separates us from God. And he died, and three days later, God raised him from the dead. And he is now seated at the right hand of the Father, awaiting till all his enemies are placed under his feet. And he commands, and he summons, and he pleads for all sinners to find rest and peace and forgiveness and joy in him. That is the good news. Jesus has done something for sinners that we cannot do for ourselves. Jesus is a friend of sinners by drinking the cup of wrath that we as sinners deserved. Trust in him, believe upon him, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That's why we as Christians should be longing, kicking and screaming, yearning to gather each week as a church not to be entertained, not to have our ears tickled, not to remain comfortable simply doing church the way we've always done it. If there are no biblical reasons for it, we should all be eagerly and gathering with earnestness to hear from our God. All week long, our minds are tossed to and fro, by the muck and mire of sin, by the grief of suffering, by disappointments from people we trusted, the world and the devil all combined. But God has given us the local church as a spiritual home where weary and suffering saints can be fed week in and week out, a place where we can find refuge again and peace for our souls. You see, God's truth is what seizes our attention. It's like grabbing your dog. I got a dog. I can make a dog analogy. I haven't done one in a sermon, so they're going to be coming in the years ahead. But when Brody tries to book it out the front, I grab that dude and I say, uh-uh, get back. Now Julie goes, hey, you, you're kind of aggressive with him. I said, he loves me. <laughs> I can do that. I've earned, I've earned my points. Friends, that's what when we do, when we get together all week long, we're just like Brody, running to and fro, being tempted by things that really don't have any bearing on our life eternally. And the Lord brings us back time and time again. This is what matters. This is what matters. This is what matters. And this is what you need. You need the people of God under the word of God in the presence of God until he brings you to himself. See, God's truth penetrates into the noise of our lives and mutes the voice of sin so that we can hear the voice of our good shepherd. Beloved, our good shepherd delights to feed us the milk and meat of his word. Turn over to 1 Timothy 3. 1 Timothy 3, you can find that on page 576 in the chair Bibles provided. 1 Timothy 3. We are rounding that last lap in the race. Thank you for your forbearance. 1 Timothy 3, we'll be looking at this more closely tonight on the topic of elders, but to catch you up to speed, after spending the first three chapters of 1 Timothy on the dangers of false teaching and false teachers, and then he spends some time talking about what a healthy and well-ordered church will look like, the Apostle Paul says this, I want you, this is like the, the cherry on top of the ice cream, this is where I've been driving for the last hour what he says about the church. I want you to want to pay attention to this. Listen carefully. 1 Timothy 3, verses 14 to 15. 
I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. What does it mean that the church is the pillar or buttress of the truth? Remember the mission statement that I started off with? CCBC exists to be a pillar of God's truth with a passion for all people to worship the one true God by making disciples of Jesus Christ through preaching and teaching and by showing his love through meaningful church membership and gospel-centered missions. We make two applications that what it means that CCBC strives to be a pillar of God's truth. Number one, there's only two. To preach the gospel and make disciples of Jesus. To preach the gospel and make disciples of Jesus. You see, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to those who believe. Romans 1.16. And then Jesus said in Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. In light of this mission, from Jesus to the apostles, and then by extension to all Christians throughout all ages until Jesus comes back, we understand what Chaffee Crossing Baptist Church is to be about. We don't need to even pray about it. We don't need to go to any best-selling books to find out about it. Jesus has already told us what we should be about. At CCBC, the worship of the one true God and obedience to King Jesus must be our burning passion and highest pursuit. All our prayers, how we budget, how we think about ministry endeavors, what we preach, what we teach, all of it should be funneled with that aim in mind. Baptizing new converts celebrates that. Preaching the gospel publicly declares it, and discipling believers prioritizes this. And when we send and support gospel work to lands and communities of people of all backgrounds and cultures and ethnicities and language, we are telling the world that Jesus is Lord of the nations. We should be a healthy church that cares deeply about its members, but we should be a healthy church that wants to replicate what God is doing among us. We should want to see gospel-preaching churches become healthy, reproducing churches all across the world. Whether we are the ones who take the initiative, whether we are the ones who send, or whether we are the ones who join up with the bigger churches who have more people on the field, regardless of whatever we end up doing, when we take part in the Great Commission, we are telling the world that Jesus is not Lord just of America. Jesus is not Lord simply of Fort Smith, but Jesus is Lord of the nations. Secondly, as pillar of God's truth, CCBC strives to be a covenant community of God's love. In John 13, verses 34 to 35, Jesus said this about how his love for his disciples would always characterize their love for one another. 
Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. You see, according to Jesus, God's love and God's truth are not opposed to each other. You know, people talk about, well, that's the loving church across town. And that's the truth church across town. Friends, CCBC should never be characterized by any kind of polarizing of the truth church or the love church. According to Jesus, if you are truly a loving church, you will speak the truth in love. And if you're truly a church made of truth, man, that's a lot of (laughs) then you're going to be the most loving church around. They go hand in hand. It's the truth that sets us free so that we may freely love one another. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, love rejoices with the truth. Paul says in Ephesians 4.15, we speak the truth and love. Brothers and sisters, if you join Chaffee Crossing Baptist Church, if you really understand what we're trying to do, you won't be merely attending a local church. You will belong to a local church. You see, committing to join a church, if you understand its mission from Jesus clearly, you are joining a church to help others follow Jesus. And simultaneously, you're opening up your life so that others help you follow Jesus. And like any marriage, the only way a relationship can work, can actually function over the long haul, is that a relationship has to be protected and preserved through a mutual commitment. A commitment to truth and a commitment to love. Similar to a biblical marriage, in order to enjoy the benefits and blessings of a local church, you must make a full commitment to the responsibilities of caring for other believers in this body. As you've probably noticed in the church lobby, I hope it never gets old to you seeing that church covenant there. That church covenant there should be like for a husband and wife remembering the vows you made however many years ago. Because on September 20th, 90 people who said they follow Jesus and wants to do that in the fellowship of this congregation made those vows. And we'll do that again tonight when we partake of the Lord's Supper. We will renew our vows to one another as we remember what Christ has done for us and the people that we belong to. Next week, we're going to spend a lot more on that topic. So if you're still interested, I invite you to come back next week. Well, today we've heard a lot about the truth, right? How the truth is tied to love according to the scriptures. Therefore, CCBC and every other church that wants to be biblical will be a pillar of God's truth. But friends, it can be easy to hear this sermon with a lot of scriptures, a lot of emphasis on truth, and walk away and be unchanged. What happens when a church no longer centers their life on God's truth? What happens when the soul-piercing truth of God's word loses interest in the lives of a church? It's just not that important anymore. As we close, listen to this statement by author and church historian David Wells. He writes, The truth of God's word is often in sharp antithesis to what is taken as being normal in our culture. To hear this word, then, is to see that the Christ of this word 
is against the culture in quite a few important ways. It is this antithesis that has been lost. Once this is lost, we cannot hear God's word on its own terms. We are hearing it as a word that comes from God, but that, in fact, is partly coming from our own culture. We are therefore not meeting with God as he is, but rather with him the way we want him to be. Most profoundly, then, what has also been diminished through our lost appetite for the teaching of Scripture is a vision of God in his greatness, in his transcendence and holiness, as he stands over against the world in its sinfulness. This is always what is secured in the church's understanding when doctrine has its proper place in Christian understanding. The reason is that God's truth comes from God and when it is heard as he gave it, it takes us back to our center, to God as triune, to God in his greatness, to hear God's word as the word from this God is inevitably to become God-centered. I pray that CCBC would strive and remain to be a God-centered church. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come before you now and we thank you that you have established a gospel-preaching church and a Bible-obeying church here in Barling. But Father, we too are like the church in Ephesus. We can all be tempted to do things out of habit, out of custom, out of checking off the boxes, and not from a heart of love. Lord, I pray that you would keep us in the love of Christ, Make us a people of truth and a people of love. Lord, I pray that we would become healthy and grow deep and that in time we will be able to spread that truth and love wide. We ask all that in Jesus' name, amen.